welcome to the, the Get, Get Together. Together. It's our show about the nuts and bolts, the meat and potatoes of community building. I am your host, Bailey Richardson. I'm a partner at People & Company, and I'm a co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People, which is available now on Amazon. Yay! Ooh, I, I want one of those like applause sound effects. We'll get that, we'll get that dialed in next time. <laughs> I'm Kevin Huynh, also a partner at People & Company and also co-author of Get Together. Today, we're recording out of Listening Party at Canal Street Market in Manhattan. We love recording here. We love it here. So fun. In each episode of our podcast, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to hundreds more members? Today, we're talking to Scott Amenta, co-founder of the COS Tech Network, a community of people working as chiefs of staff in companies around the world. And then what started as a very like businessy venture has turned into a community where you know, a lot of these people are like really good friends now. When I find out that like two chiefs of staff who I assumed didn't even know each other, you know, met because of this little bot we have on Slack that connected them, they got a coffee, that's now blossomed into a full friendship. And now I'm seeing them at this happy hour, like totally buddy, buddy. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I had no idea, you know? It's not just me that has made all these friends. It's like all these other people have made friends and potential colleagues or future founders or, or whatever. It all started in 2016 when Scott found himself as a chief of staff, a role that was quite new in Techland, and for Scott, felt somewhat undefined. He decided to seek out other chiefs of staff so he could learn tips and tricks and also get inspired about career trajectories the role could lead to. A medium post callout led to a dinner with other chiefs of staff. That dinner led to a Slack group, and the Slack group has led to chapters around the world and a wealth of insights and resources getting passed amongst these professionals. A modern fairy tale. Indeed. <laughs> a modern community <laughs> a medium fairy post tale. Leads to a dinner to lead to a Slack group leads to a chapter. It is kind of common that that happens, <laughs> it is, though. It is. Uh, recently, they were even featured in the friggin' New York Times. Woot Scott. Congrats. Kevin, what stuck out to you about our conversation with Scott today? It's simple. You know, communities don't start without someone willing to take that first action. We, we were just talking about this, but, you know, whether it's writing a blog post or hosting that first dinner, mm. I think with any sort of community leader, there's that fear that no one will show up or people won't feel the same way. But imagine if they do. Scott described to us that the chief of staff role can be a lonely position and an ambiguous one. And he had this intuition that others were tossing the same questions around in their head about how to manage an executive retreat to like, what does a chief of staff do after being a chief of staff? And he decided to do something about it. And that's why this community, this network exists today and continues to realize its purpose for hundreds of people around the world. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is I was super excited to interview Scott because chiefs of staff are so on top of their like... They really have, very they, organized. they know how to use, <laughs> yeah, they're organized, they're great communicators, they have high EQs, they like know how to use tools to communicate and pass resources. And so I think there's a lot of people out in the world that could seek out like a community around an interest or like a job title or role. And they're kind of like best in show, I think, mm. in terms of like being able to show other people how to do this. Groovy. Let's get into the interview. Woo! All right, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Welcome wow. to the Lower East Side. Thank you, guys. We're stoked to have you here. It's good to be back in the Lower East Side. I know. We've had this insight that people who organize communities, they have to be passionate about that cause, that purpose, in order to like spend so much time helping other people navigate that space. 
So can you tell us about your chief of staff experience? I would say probably back maybe six or seven years ago, I was working for David Tisch um, at Techstars. And I had just joined one of the companies coming out of that accelerator program in New York. And I was very much operating as a generalist, you know, doing all the things that my CEO needed me to do without a definitive title in place. I knew I didn't want to specialize in anything particularly. I ran into David on the street one day and he said to me, he probably doesn't remember this conversation. He said to me, pay attention to the chiefs of staff coming out of, at the time it was like LinkedIn, Google, Bloomberg, a lot of these kind of bigger tech organizations were investing in those guys because they're going to be the next wave of entrepreneurs. He had a premonition. He had a premonition for sure. Mm. And it stuck with me. And so I went back, did that role for another two years. And then ended up joining, unbeknownst to me, David Tish's brother's company, ah, uh, Spring, David, uh, a couple years later. David, he's your mentor. Hello, David. Yeah. Hope you're listening. And so, and one of the first conversations I had with Alan Tish was, hey, I want to be a chief of staff. <laughs> and together we were like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, what was your guys' answer? We didn't have an answer. <laughs> we, we basically said, look, the company's five people at this point. Let's wait and see what that looks like when we get to a point where we recognize there's something more here. Yeah. So it was over the next kind of two years that I was working on fundraising activities. I was writing pitch decks. I was doing investor relations. I was working on strategic projects for the company. I was doing things that Alan didn't want to do or didn't have the capacity to do and weren't easy things to pass on to the other specialists that we were hiring in sales or operations or HR. And right when we crossed the kind of 60 person threshold about two years in, we decided, okay, I'm already doing probably 50% of what we think a chief of staff should be doing. Let's try to carve out a more specified job description around this role. Now, of course, that job description changed almost every quarter for the Mm -hmm. next two years after that. Startup life. Uh, And I think that is pretty consistent for most chiefs of staff is that their role is quite ambiguous. It's actually very difficult to define, which is kind of where it came from in the first place. Mm. Now, my reason for starting a community was as soon as I got into the role, almost very self-motivated to say, well, what comes after this? Mm. How do I actually describe this role to someone else outside the position and and more importantly, kind of outside the company that doesn't know what I'm doing here? And so I was motivated by another mentor of mine, Eric Friedman, who I worked with at Foursquare, to write an article. And that Medium post took off quite quickly. What was the Medium article about? So the the Medium article was about why the role is important in rapidly scaling companies, uh, what I think I termed unicorn companies at the time. Mm. And it was about how a chief of staff operates side by side with a CEO and an executive team. And, And I think most importantly, like how it's inherently different than other biz ops roles or executive assistant roles, which it's kind of often compared to how it's not just a sexier term for an executive assistant, how there are very kind of definitive practices and responsibilities that a chief of staff takes, whether it's in strategy or in operations or in kind of internal team management as a facilitator between an executive team and the rest of the organizations, kind of regardless of size. And granted, I was only a few months into the position, so I was still learning myself. And at the end of that article, I wrote a little note saying, I'm thinking of starting a community. If anyone else is in this role, please reach out. Mm. From there, I met Sarah Brown, who's the chief of staff at Tech NYC and the co-founder of the Chief of Staff Tech Network. What's up, Sarah? What's up, Sarah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and is still amazing and, and, and actively in New York, which is great yeah. since, since I'm no longer here. And Max Dorwin, who was the chief of staff at Boxed. And Max was an, had an interesting background because he was coming out of Washington, D.C., having worked in like mm. the political landscape, not as a chief of staff, but with other chiefs of staff kind of across the U.S. government, which obviously is where the title comes from. And so Max is walking into the startup space saying, okay, tech scene is brand new to me, but I kind of know what a chief of staff looks like in the political space. 
Sarah works at Tech NYC, which is a nonprofit organization focused on bridging the gap between policy and what startups need in the ecosystem within New York. And I was working definitively at a kind of pure tech startup. Yeah. And so the three of us had kind of an interesting get together session saying, hey, yeah, there's probably other folks out there like us. If they haven't joined the role today, they're probably actively talking about it with their CEO or their executive team. And so let's try to put together a dinner. Yeah. That was in December of 2016. We held the first dinner in February of 2017. As the New York Times said, at the Smile on Bond. That's right. What a lovely place to have a dinner. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, I went to a get-together there. Oh. Yeah, you know, they maybe, have a, maybe they have a, a very nice private little back room. Oh, yeah. do they? Yeah. yeah. It's such a nice vibe in there. It's funny. I have like a list of all the restaurants with nice little private back rooms now. Oh, <laughs> you chief of <laughs> staff. You yeah. do? Okay, we I'll, need I'll that. Share, I'll share it with you guys after the <laughs> So you guys had the dinner, and how did you find those other folks? There were like 12 people there? Yeah, there, you find there those was, people? I would say, 10 to 12 people. Okay. It was as simple as I knew of a few other people that had reached out to me from the article. Yeah. Sarah, probably the, the best networker I know in New York, mm. um, knew a lot of people, including a guy named Dennis Yu, who was the chief of staff at Betterment, was previously a chief of staff at Bloomberg, um, and has now gone on to become a chief of staff at Chime out in San Francisco. And so kind of a chief of staff for life, if you will. Yeah. And Dennis had actually already started a very small group. He, I think he had like four or five people. Ah. And they were meeting on a semi-regular basis. Um, yeah, we reached out to Dennis and Dennis agreed to kind of join us and, and put our forces together. That turned into a group of about 10 people for that first dinner. To zoom in on that dinner a little bit, how much did you think about the format of it? Like in advance, did you guys plan or were you like, let's just see naturally what people want to talk about? Yeah. How did you approach that? I think as a chief of staff, we always have these kind of pressing issues in mind. Mm. I think the three of us walked into that saying, we're going to let this run pretty loose. It's a dinner, so we're not going to host this as a roundtable conversation where you know one person talks at a time. But let's propose some questions. People are other are probably also feeling that pain point within their companies. And that can be as simple as, you know, how do you manage an executive team meeting? Mm. That one still comes up a lot. Mm. Um, or how do you think about the relationship between your executive team and the next layer down, a leadership team, and then the next layer down kind of to the wider audience across mm. the company? How do you think about that communication um, and the kind of cadence of that communication and where the decision making is happening, um, you know, upwards and downwards? That's pretty advanced stuff. That's like yeah, and, business and, school. And it's interesting because we're, we're talking about a group here, you know, who's probably average age is between 24 and 35. Yeah. You know, so it's relatively young in terms of total years of experience post-college. And yet they're sitting with executive teams yeah. that arguably have 10, 20, 30 more years of experience in them. And yet they're tasked with these responsibilities to kind of figure out how the organization should run and do it with some big personalities in the room while proving themselves at the same time. And so we very quickly realized that this mm. group was a self-selecting group into the role. They found their way in either having been at a startup or a company like I was and kind of just fell into the position and decided to call it a chief of staff or they read one of the articles um, and kind of carved out that role. Yeah. At the time, there wasn't a lot of companies actively hiring a chief of staff. You didn't see a lot of job titles out there or sorry, job descriptions saying, hey, I'm a CEO looking for a chief of staff and this is what that title means to me. I'm curious what else. What are some of the other topics or those issues that you felt like only a chief of staff could discuss with another chief of staff? Because I think this is the sort of stuff that really makes these communities 
magical. It doesn't have to be some type of fancy format, never before seen, facilitated dinner in a certain way. It's just, you know, having a space to discuss the elephants in the room, to discuss those sorts of topics that, you know, you're just not able to perhaps within your own company or within, you know, the people that are immediately surrounding you. I think one of the things that a lot of the chiefs of staff gravitated towards immediately was the idea that they felt very siloed within their organization. Even though the title says chief of staff, you know, you feel like you have some responsibility over the entire organization, almost like a CEO, you know, you're very much kind of left on your own devices in terms of who's reporting directly to you, what your responsibilities are, and, you know, how people understand your role within the company. And so, you know, we, we, we hosted a, a happy hour last night and there were about 45 people there. And over and over again, I heard very similar questions that were coming up, you know, even two and a half years ago, mm. which is, how do I tell my company, how do I tell the employees, whether they're new or they've been there for, you know, multiple years, what my role is mm. and, and how I help facilitate and make their job easier. Um, and, you know, why I'm sitting in a, a particular conference room, you know, in a product session, when my job title, my description has nothing to do with product, but I was told to be there by my CEO or another executive for X, Y, and Z reasons to help facilitate, to help draw the lines between that team and another team, you know, to just let the CEO generally know what's going on with that particular product cycle, things like that. And so I, I would say that was one thing, just the kind of general loneliness feeling yeah. of the chief of staff position. I think the other thing that people really latched onto, which was similar to why we started the group kind of in the first place, is what happens after the chief of staff role. Mm. I think this group is very in tune, and I, I don't think it's so different from kind of this millennial generation in general. We're very much in tune with what our careers look like and the idea that our careers and our career trajectory is very different than our parents. And a lot of that comes from the ability to move from one company to the next rather quickly. Mm. And that move can come with a massive shift in pay, potentially, a, a shift in title, a shift in responsibilities, whether you're consider yourself a generalist or a more specialist in your career. And I think for a lot of the chiefs of staff, like it being a new title in the industry, that next step, it felt like a really difficult question to answer. And so a lot of them were looking to their peers in the same position saying, hey, what are you thinking of in terms of what you do next? Is it a transition within your own company? Is the company big enough to support that where there are opportunities that are available to you? Is your CEO supportive of that? How do I have that conversation with my CEO? You know, does this role last for one year, two years, three years? Do I go do another chief of staff position after this? And I think that was actually one of the bigger questions that was asked and continues to be asked. And that's one of the reasons that we started the, the chief of staff tech forum as well, just to publish articles and, and write about our own experiences, not just myself, but, but others as well now, to help define how CEOs, how teams should think about hiring a chief of staff how that role can be leveraged within the organization, but also just as importantly, how to think about letting that person go and like really fostering their career, whether they stay at the company or they go on to start their own venture. And I would say the group is very entrepreneurial. That's probably one of the most interesting things that we've seen is some of these people now go on to start their own ventures and, and they very much look at the position as a stepping stone into that type role. Or they go on to join another company, whether it's in corp dev or strategy or business operations or business development or sometimes product even. And so that's been really interesting as well as like how do you think about that career mm. transition? Yeah, I hear both this like, like you said, there's a loneliness component of 
you're in an interesting siloed role. Like you don't have other people maybe like you at your organization. And also, I guess, being the broker between a leader with a lot of power and the people who work for that person is an interesting space. So there's this like loneliness component. But then I didn't think about the second piece you're bringing up, which is when you don't have a prescribed forward path, you have to imagine it for yourself and you need like inspiration and inputs from other people to bring that to life. And it's like those two things are being served by this group, which is really fascinating. I want to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty of what you guys do together as a group. Sure. But first, you said that at the end of your Medium article, you knew that you wanted to start a community. But how did you decide that, you know, you had this first dinner that you wanted to keep going? Would you know going into the dinner that the plan was to do regular gatherings with a group of people? Or were you kind of like, I'm just going to see how this dinner goes. And if it is meaningful, then we'll keep going. So it felt like the camaraderie out of that group of strangers at that first dinner was tight enough and pronounced enough to say, okay, there's probably something more here that we should help facilitate. Now, in what capacity we were going to facilitate that was still totally up in the air. And I remember saying at that dinner, like, let's do a Slack group, you know? Um, like, let's do something online so we can stay in touch. And Slack felt like the best kind of option at the time. People were already using it within their own companies. It's easier to build a community on a tool that people are already logged into and kind yeah. of actively on versus trying to force people into a new platform. Oh. I mean, that's true for most cases in life. And so we started with Slack. We can get into the logistics of like why Slack is not really meant for communities. Mm. There's a lot of Slack groups out there, but they don't scale very well. Mm. And there's some things that we've done along the way to kind of change how our community interacts with Slack. But I would say from the very beginning, I really wanted to make sure that the community was self-sustaining by itself. I didn't really want to be the person that was constantly facilitating meetings and meetups and one-on-one -on -one meetings that, between Scott? How come? I just didn't have the time, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I knew it was important, and, and I'm still here, even in Berlin, I'm, I'm facilitating, but it was a pursuit of passion. It wasn't a pursuit of any kind of monetary gain or financial gain. Yeah. That's always something that I've prioritized in my own career is just getting to know people, and I derive the most energy off of getting to know people. And so really for the first year and a half, I probably met with the first hundred chiefs of staff wow. for a coffee before we let them in the group. Okay. And that was really important to me because I wanted to make sure that they were coming in with the right intentions, that the company they were working for was doing something interesting. You know, now we use some metrics like, is it a VC-backed company? Mm. Does the CEO have experience from another business? You know, do we know the investors? Is the chief of staff coming from a background that is of interest to other people in the group, you know, depending on the role that they held before? Um, and do they hold the chief of staff position that is in line with the kind of definitions, albeit vague and mm. kind of broad, mm. that we've set for a chief of staff role mm. within the group? How did you know that you needed to vet people? Like one of the things that I know about the rules and kind of like culture is that this is a pretty confidential space in part because I imagine the conversations you guys are having are reasonably specific and you want to keep that private. But did you kind of run into a situation where you realized you needed to vet or was that something you knew going in and what was the insight you had about that? The main reason we decided to keep it as a closed door community, if you will, and I would say that the, the door is halfway open. Mm. It's relatively easy for people to join. 
It's very much based on a referral system, and that's because we trust the people that are in the community today. But the reason that we decided to vet early on was really just to make sure that we had a core group of people that we could trust that were coming from similar environments. And so, you know, as an example, we were pretty careful not to let chiefs of staff at the big banks into the community mm. at first. And now we're, we're starting to transition maybe a little bit. And that was because the community was built off of tech companies, mm. tech and media companies. Mm. And those companies experience a very different trajectory and set of challenges within their organizations than Goldman Sachs. It's not to say the chief of staff at Goldman Sachs is a bad person. It's just yeah. to say, you know, maybe it just didn't fit in the community as it was when we were 20 people, 50 people, et cetera. Yeah. Now that we're 250 people almost, you know, that starts to change pretty quickly. And so I've got a lot of people sitting in my inbox and I go back to that list and I say to myself, okay, this person probably makes sense given that we've now opened up to more fintech companies or, or what have you. Yeah. What are some ways that if I was a member, I would you know, participate, show up? There's the Slack group. You mentioned like a, a happy hour. But what are the things that are facilitated or that are available to a member that they plug into? The Slack community, I would say, is the main kind of online portal. I mentioned earlier that the way that we leverage Slack has changed over the years. So today, that community online is basically everyone's an admin. And what that means is everyone can create a channel. The only thing we don't allow people to do is invite new people. But they can invite people and then it just gets sent to me to kind I see. Of figure out. I see. But the idea of letting everyone create different channels you know, kind of manage how that community interacts and like what topics are being discussed or delete channels, et cetera. That moved us away from everything being in one kind of random channel or one general channel to really letting people own the conversation and kind of control what the community was going to be about. Mm. So you don't see a lot of like, hey, I need to plan a, a holiday party. You know, but you do see a lot of like, hey, I need to plan an executive offsite. How do these things work with like executive teams specifically? Mm. If that's very different from, say, what an executive assistant position might be doing, which is potentially planning a holiday party. Mm. And so that was one of the major shifts, I would say. One of the downfalls of Slack is we've massively exceeded the 14,000 messages, I think, that we get. And so a on lot like of a free account, you on the free a limit account, to yeah. how many stay mm. exactly. like archived. Exactly. Right. Mm. And so, so you guys are losing some of the knowledge. Well, or a lot of the history is buried yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you pay for it, maybe you can get it back. I don't know. Yeah, but Slack sponsorship. <laughs> where you're this at. is the challenge of Slack. Is you know, it's I think twelve to fifteen bucks a month per user. Yeah. You know, and so look, I'm only at two hundred and fifty-ish people in the community. You imagine for much larger communities, yeah. it gets pretty hard yeah. to justify that cost when you're not trying to make money on top of it. Yeah. And so, yes, you can get, um, you know, you can get funded in sorts and sponsorships to pay for that. Um, and that's definitely an option for us. We're actively considering. Yeah, um, We could also file as a nonprofit potentially and, and get Slack for a lot cheaper. Mm. So there are options there, but I've heard this from other communities. It's like Slack breaks down after a while because of that. And so we're now actually using Notion as kind of a secondary tool mm. to help store some of the more interesting insights that have come from those conversations online. Yeah, Kevin and I both worked with communities that are like designers and also teachers. And I feel like there's like a level of just like self-learning and tech savviness and also like ability to like templatize things and teach other people that are in those communities. And one of the reasons I was so excited to interview was I was just like, what are the chiefs of staff doing to like organize their information and communicate? Yeah, you're talking yeah. about a highly organized group. Yes, and like <laughs> really maybe savvy. Too, maybe for our own downfall, yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> but very savvy about communication and tools and like all of that stuff. So I, I, I've been meaning to write a blog post on like, you know, what does the community stack look like? Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, so, you know, we use Airtable, Notion, Slack, MailChimp, and then basically Zapier to string it all together. Nice. And that's worked pretty well in the sense that I don't have to do a lot of work to manage it. I have to click one button to let someone in and then all the emails send themselves. Oh my They get God. added to a website. They get sent a form. That form gets uploaded into Notion. Then you can see the member profile. Like it's one click. I don't have to really do very much to, to manage the onboarding of new people. You know, Slack sends its own messages out, welcoming people on the first yeah. day, on the first week, in the first month showing them where to access certain resources. And so I figured that out along the way, and that, that has made it kind of a, a one or two person show, you know, and letting it self-sustain, again, as like a, a passion project versus it being kind of a full-time job. Uh, and that's always been one of the big debates for me, you know, certainly in the last year is like, should this be more of a full-time thing that I pursue as a business, or should this be very much a kind of nonprofit of sorts and it's great for the community, it's a niche community, so maybe it's locked in kind of that size and scope, um, or there are potentially other opportunities here. What's your hunch about that now? That's a common conversation. I think when we talk to folks who start interesting communities that use our own language, they like spark the fire and all of a sudden there is like, there's interest and they might make a little bit of money selling tickets to a meetup or there might be a, some inklings of like sponsorship interest. And of course they started out of a passion point. So they're like, can I pursue this with more of my time? So where's your, you know, where's your head at right now with that question? And then I'll check in with you in one year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I, I, I'm still very much looking at it as a passion project. Mm -hmm. The ability for the community to find value in its kind of peer network and to be self-sustaining is probably more important to me than figuring out ways to monetize it. Um, so you guys started with, you know, like 10 to 12 people at a dinner. You open a Slack group. Scott's having coffees with 100 different chief of staffs. <laughs> They're joining Slack. Y'all are meeting up intermittently, regularly. How are you thinking about the future structure of the community and where it might go from here? Uh, the New York chapter is still kind of by and far the strongest. Interestingly enough, so Dennis Yu, who I mentioned earlier at Chime, uh, moved to California and of course started the San Francisco chapter. There we go. That group is today around 50 people. So, and growing rapidly, I mean, there's Silicon Valley, so there's endless number of startups there that are hiring or, or already have a chief of staff. Mm -hmm. So if you are a chief of staff in San Francisco, please reach out. Yeah. So that chapter exists. We have a few people then kind of spread out across the country. So mm -hmm. there's a small chapter in Boston now. Um, there's a few people in LA. I wouldn't call it a full-fledged chapter. I know a few people now in London as chiefs of staff that are part of the group. And then equally in Berlin, where I am, arguably in Europe, it's taking a, long, a lot longer for that role to catch on. The way that the chapters operate are relatively independent of the larger group. Everyone is on one Slack channel, so the online community remains kind of the wider pool. The individual chapters kind of run their own events and, and manage that scheduling by themselves. And so we assign a chapter head. We help provide them resources that could be sponsorship opportunities or you know ways to find space, which is always a, at a high premium. And then you know obviously topics as well. What we're now working on is introducing pods which is much smaller groups of chiefs of staff that can be arranged by company size or industry or tenure or years of experience. And a lot of that will hopefully bring back some of what we had in the earlier days, which is, you know, 10 people getting around a table over pizza and beer, choosing one topic and trying to focus deeply on how do we address this kind of one issue that many of us are facing or have already gone through and can share the insights from 
from that learning experience. I love that you're doing that. When I was working at Instagram, we were getting bigger and bigger. Someone gave me the advice that if you want to keep something valuable and meaningful and potent, as you get bigger and bigger, do smaller and smaller things. And intimacy seems, and, and confidentiality and specificity seems so important to the value of this community. And that's a really rad thing. Just like thumbs up, that's a rad thing you're doing. If you have anything more to say on it, please continue. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, 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 look, I think when you get these much larger companies actively scaling and these you know, very small companies that are just starting up, they both have a lot to learn from one another. You know, the mm. big company wants to get that entrepreneurial spirit back in their organization and you know, wants to think about doing things with a leaner mentality, mm. the smaller company is actively looking at the big company saying, how do we become that? What are the roadblocks that we need to overcome? What are the things that we can avoid by not doing, having learned from their experience? And so there's a lot of value in putting kind of those two types of individuals together. And, and look, in the chief of staff role, you're sitting on top of the organization evaluating everything. Yeah. And so, you know, you have kind of the opportunity to have that very wide purview over how a company is growing and what things to avoid. And that's why I think the role is also set up and kind of primed for really amazing entrepreneurs coming out of it. Yeah. What was one of the biggest challenges to getting chief of the Chief of Staff Network to where it is now? The biggest challenge was really how do we find trust within the group? So in the early days, and, and still today, frankly, we are pretty careful about letting investors into the group, as an example. And the reason for that is, you know, when you have a VC sitting in the room, all of a sudden, the room becomes a little quieter in terms of sharing real problems that their company is facing, mm -hmm. you know? No one wants their VCs to know how the executives are fighting every day over which direction to take the product. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily something that gets shared in the, in the monthly report. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we do have some chiefs of staff at VCs today. And, but we're still, I would say, pretty careful about what rooms they find themselves in, you know, when there's an active dialogue or a topic that's chosen for a roundtable conversation. And so I think it's still about building that trust. And particularly as, as the group has grown now, and I'm not able to meet everyone in person, you know, I can still do video chats, and that helps. But it's really hard to gauge kind of the empathy of the other side at the of the other side of the room when you haven't met that person, mm -hmm. you know, in real life. That's one of the things that is really interesting about the group as well, and the position itself. You have to have a very high EQ to operate in this role because you're just dealing with people all day long. You know, a lot of it is just people management. I've actually had people come to me and say, "Look, I don't think this person is the right." Like I had a one-on-one -on -one with him or her, and I don't think this person is like the right person for the community, then it becomes a little tricky in terms mm. of, well, now what do we do? Yeah. And so setting up those rules of engagement has been definitely an issue as we've as we've grown. Yeah. I love how it, you're underscoring that kind of creating trust, maintaining trust isn't something you can set and forget, like especially as the community scales up. And as you describe, part of the magic of this group is the ability to troubleshoot, to share certain things, to discuss certain things that require a level of trust, whether it's hey, this is happening with my company, I'm trying to figure it out, or I'm looking at what's next for me. And that's something it sounds like you got right with that initial dinner. And it's something that you continually, you and the community continually needs to maintain and cultivate over time. Yeah, and the, and the overarching question is, how do you get the community to do that for you, mm -hmm. right? When you don't want to be the kind of point person that is the make or break, you know, the deciding engine of whether a person comes or goes, you really want the community to be kind of in full force, making the community what it is. And that's, I think, how you get more value out of the group because they feel invested in the thing that they signed up to join in the first place. Those are the mechanisms that I'm actively thinking more about and trying to facilitate with the group. 
Part of that is opening Slack. Part of that is using Notion. Part of that is making a bigger group into smaller groups so that they feel this, this intimacy and they get to know one another better in person. I also think remote calls are really interesting. Mm -hmm. I had a remote chat yesterday with five chiefs of staff all over the country. And I had never done that before with the chief of staff network. And it was really interesting because it was so easy to just get on a Google Hangout and, you know, hash out a problem that one of them was facing and just see some really interesting insights um, come from that mm. and do it virtually. You know, we don't have to be in a room together to do that, but it still felt small and intimate and important. So how do you communicate like what the what the community expects and some no-nos and, and things like that? How have you approached trying to make that clear to members or having a sense of like, what goes and what doesn't within the group. We have some Slack rules, you know, some some online rules that are just a framework there to let people know what is and is not acceptable. You know, the other thing that we encourage is for people to actively search what has already been asked. You know, I think one of the things that can really like drive a community into the ground <laughs> is when the same questions get asked over and over again yeah. from a new person that has joined. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the reasons that we're starting to use Notion now is to help alleviate some of that pain. Yeah. Because when you see the same question over and over again as a person that's been in the group for one, two, or three years, it starts to get really old. Yeah. But again, like we're dealing with a group that is highly empathetic, I yeah. think. And so we haven't run into any issues of people being disrespectful to the community mm -hmm. or trying to push something that just doesn't belong within the group. I've seen other communities where that is a big problem. They have to have like an active police force you know, that is there monitoring every channel and really making sure online and offline that the people are behaving according to the values or rules that they've set. Any any memorable moments for you personally in terms of running this group? Or is there an impact it's had that you're particularly proud of? I think most importantly, I've made a lot of really good friends out of it. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I was not the initial intention. It just kind of happened that way. And, and, and even last night, you know, coming back to New York, seeing a lot of the people that I talk to actively online, but mm. I haven't seen in four or five, six months, you know, to like not give a very formal handshake and like you're getting a lot of hugs, mm. you know, just it's a totally different reaction than what started as a very like businessy venture has turned into a community where you know, a lot of these people are like really good friends now. And, and I would say that's probably the other interesting thing is it's not just me. I'm seeing a lot of people that are meeting one-on-one -on -one, that are starting companies together you know, that are doing really interesting things because of the community, but in ways that I had never anticipated. And I think more importantly, in ways that are really hard to measure. Yeah. You know, so when I find out that like two chiefs of staff who I assumed didn't even know each other, you know, met because of this little bot we have on Slack that connected them, they got a coffee, that's now blossomed into a full friendship. And now I'm seeing them at this happy hour, like totally buddy, buddy. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I had no idea, you know? Yeah. It's not just me that has made all these friends. It's like all these other people have made friends and potential colleagues or future founders or, or whatever. And so I would say that's probably been the most interesting and impactful experience for me is just the ability to bring people together and like it turns into something totally different than you anticipated. It's not just about work now. It's about life. Yeah. Human relationships, the most valuable oh, yeah. thing on the planet. Not to be underestimated for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's just funny. It's always neat to have these kinds of interviews because you get to hear this started as a medium post. Right. Like you wrote a medium <laughs> post with like a little added sentence. By accident. On the bottom. And then you hosted one dinner 
And it's just neat to see how you just keep marching forward and you invest in it and you end up in a place where you have hundreds of people who you're actually bringing meaningful relationships into their life. And that's what it's all about, Scott. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we finished these interviews by just asking if I could wave a magic wand and you could ask for anything for your community, you know, what would you ask for right now? I mean, honestly, if it was like genie in a bottle could pop out and say, you know, this is the obvious trajectory for a chief of staff. Hmm. Like if I had the ability to look 10, 15 years ahead and say, this is where this group ended up, that would be probably the most impactful thing. I don't hmm. think that anyone hmm. could give that to me. I'm sure there's a lot of like guidance counselors, career advisors out there that have an opinion on it. So I would be more than happy to hear from them. Mm. But I would say that's still the burning question here. It sounds like the burning question that your group is answering together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think you'll see probably a lot of articles and content come from this community as we continue to figure that out. Yeah. Great. Rad. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for coming today. Thank cool. You so yeah. Thank you guys. Time. This is great. We appreciate it. I appreciate that. it. If you want to get involved with the COS Tech Network, go to costechnetwork.com. Or you can find Scott on his personal website, scottamenta.com, scottamenta.com. Kev, do you think you would be a good chief of staff? What would be the hardest part of that role for you? The hardest part about being a chief of staff for me would be having to deliver difficult news or messages between the leader and other people. Yeah. I think having to be that intermediary human, I just worry a lot about sometimes like what people think when I deliver a certain message and even if that's my own message. So to like now have that on both sides of like myself sounds challenging. So hats off to the chiefs of staffs out there. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think you would fare in a COS role? Oh, I think I am way too bad with secrets. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. I would. I am like transparent even to a fault, and uh, <laughs> I would not be like very professional with <laughs> the trans transfer of information. So yeah, nope. Taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. If you want to find out more about us, people and company, you can visit our website, peopleand.company. Dot company. Dot company, not dot com. Mm -hmm. Also, our book, Get Together, is on Amazon. You can find the link at gettogetherbook.com. It's full of stories and learnings from conversations with community leaders like Scott. So check it out. Oh, and last thing, if you're down, please review us and subscribe. Review and subscribe. It's really, really valuable. It helps the podcast get out to more people. So if you have the stamina today, we'd appreciate it. Cool. Thanks to Listening Party at Canal Street Market for having us. And we'll talk to you next time. See ya. Bye.